0: My name is Lisa Smith Henderson, and I am the host of Alma, Am I Racist? And if you want to know more about the wonderful woman Alma was, and to learn more about the podcast, you can go to almamiracist.com. This podcast is available on any of your favorite podcast providers. I'm so delighted to have a friend of mine today. Wimby Simby from Zimbabwe, say that three times fast. And Wimby is an environmental scientist and considers herself a citizen of the world. And she's traveled internationally. And we began to talk about healthcare at one point and the racial inequalities within healthcare, not just in the US, but certainly all over the world. And Wimby. Take it away. Tell me what you've experienced in Zim. And also, I know you lived in South Africa and Australia. What's your experience been personally, and then some of your family experience?
1: Hi Lisa, hi everyone. Thank you for having me here today and yeah let me jump right into it. So a little bit about me, the background of how I became this global citizen is I was born and raised in Zimbabwe and then I studied my bachelor's in South Africa and then I studied my master's in Australia and I worked there for about two or so odd years and then I came back to Zimbabwe And um, this conversation on, um, you know, healthcare and being black within the healthcare system came about, I think, as I was actually having a conversation with you, Lisa, and we were talking about, you know, sometimes you're in a system that's not made for you. And that's an interesting thing to say, because you think healthcare is made for everyone and is for everyone. But in reality, that's not always been my experience. So I think obviously growing up in Zimbabwe, I was under my parents' medical aid and I had the understanding that I've got this card, I go to see the doctor, they give me a prescription, I take my card, get my medication, all good. But when I got to South Africa, I noticed something which was that as an international student I I mean, you can't even enroll without medical aid. They need you to have your own medical aid. And I kind of thought, okay, it shouldn't be that expensive. But I found that the international medical aid compared to the other students' medical aid was significantly higher. And the services that were offered to you as an international student were still significantly higher under your medical aid with additional costs. So for example, if you were going to get a pair of prescription glasses, I wear glasses, I'm quarter to blind, legally blind. I can't drive without my glasses. This is a need with basic disability. I had to take my international medical aid, then get a claim form, send it to my international medical aid, and then they check if they have a provider that's in that area. If they don't, which most likely they didn't, they would have some in Joburg and I was in Cape Town, then they'd say, oh, well, um, yeah, we did our part. So I'm quite happy to take your money every month, but I'm not so happy to consider where you're going to school. And I found that strange because on your application, you state where you're going and the visa is only approved if the medical aid sends a letter to say they can cover your medical aid in that area. But it was the same eyesight, dental, the GP, But the lucky break I got was healthcare in South Africa is very affordable. So it didn't really knock me down as much, but it did knock down my fellow South African friends of which, you know, obviously the disparity in terms of um, um, poverty in South Africa, it's I think 90% population poverty and most of them are going to be black or brown. So it then begs the question, medical aid for who? Who who is this medical aid for and who can access it? Who can afford it? Because if you're in a low-income family and you're earning maybe a thousand rand a month, let's just say that's what you're earning, a trip to the doctor, just the doctor for a flu could be anything from 350 to 500 rand. So you're forced with this question live or maybe not really live and that's nowhere anyone should be within a health system anywhere and as a global a global citizen I found that just like outrageous just to be honest I found it outrageous and I'm African raised in Africa as a Zimbabwean you know in another SADAC country which is like our little trading block like the EU so yeah that was a bit of a shocker for me but Obviously, I mean, we kept it moving as best as we could. I was, you know, still young. I was a uni student. I didn't do much about it. But when I got to Australia, that's when all, all bits were off. All bits were completely off. I mean, the, I paid about 3000 Australian dollars. I'm trying to convert that in my mind to US dollars. Maybe $2,000 to $2,500 for a medical aid a year. And my program was two years long. And whilst I was there, if I wanted to go see the doctor, they told me that, oh, you've got international, Oh, perfect, we'll slot you right in. I get there. They're like, right, so you need to pay a shortfall of $75. I'm like, what? And then I'd go to see the doctor. And then she would then inform me that, oh, no, I think, you know, this is just stress and culture shock. Whatever's going on with you, it's going to subside. Or if I had a cold, oh, just, you know, go have some warm tea. Uh, Oh, I've got migraines. Just take some Panadol. And I'm saying, I've I've taken Panadol. My first stop is not going to be a $75, you know, cost. It's going to be to go to the pharmacy to get the cheaper over-the-counter alternative. And then, you know, mental health care then started to kick in because she kept saying, this is stress. And I said, okay, this is stress. Let me go to the psychologist. There's no way a white person can counsel a black person. Yes, amen. Thank you. Because our lived experiences are very different. It's the same way they'll tell you um, a dad or a father figure is important for a son to learn how to be a man to an extent, you know, to see, you know, what's a good man look like versus a bad man. And a mom can never really, show that to their kid because it's, you know, moms are soft and cuddly. They're awesome. They're not about to, you know, really push the buttons. And I really hope I'm not stepping on too many toes with this analogy, but <laughs> it's really just, just my lived experience is only relatable to someone who's either seen or lived my life. So when I then go to see the psychologist and I say, listen, I'm not sleeping, I am having horrible pain in my neck that's not going away. And she says, oh, I think your your plate is a bit full and you're overwhelmed. How about you, you take some of those things off? And I went home that night and I thought about it. I said, what is really bugging me right now? And it was the fact that I was in a foreign country which didn't have necessarily what I call obvious racism in your face. It was kind of an ignorant racism. And I refused to conform to people making me the butt of the joke, to assimilate, if I could call it that. So if someone said to me, oh, where are you from? And I said, Zimbabwe, and they said, oh, how's the tribal warfare going on there? I got upset. What do you mean tribal warfare? Or wow, your English is so good. You're French and you've got a heavy French accent. How? How is this a conversation we're having? Like, what does that matter? I mean, I'm, I'm beautiful. You could have said you're beautiful. Or I liked your comment in class. Or I like your shoes. Why did it have to come to these cultural little nitpicks? And the more that kept happening, the more upset I got. But I couldn't explode because I'm the Black angry woman if I explode. Oh. So I was internalizing a lot of that anger but I couldn't understand or unpack it because my therapist is white and they just think I'm overwhelmed or it's cultural shock. You know, I, she said to me, maybe it's because you're in a place where everything works so smoothly. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. When I, am, I am dead serious. I am dead serious. And, you know, then she said, Oh, why don't you go and make more friends? I said, do you know, when I go out, people like, try touch my hair so I'm forced to have my hair in locks or to wear a wig so people don't want to touch my natural hair and poke me like an animal so now I have social anxiety at this point I'm scared to go outside and I'm depressed but I don't know I'm depressed because normally there's something sad happening but it's not anything sad But now I'm getting these psychosemantic migraines from the insomnia, the stress. I don't want to go to class. I'm the only Black person in class. And the mental health system is letting me down. And as such, my body is getting worse and worse and worse. I'm getting muscle spasms. I'm having panic attacks. I go to see a physiotherapist. Good, 300 bucks. And he kind of says, oh, I don't think anything's wrong with you. You just need some panadol. I remember walking out bawling, I was in tears, I was freaking out, I was like, I am in this country, I'm trying to get my degree, how how am I going to do this if I can't even get healthcare, and the healthcare I can get is so expensive, and you know, every time I go somewhere, they tell me it's, I'm stressed, it's in my head, or I just need to relax, I need to take a chill pill. And I'm thinking, how do I take a chill pill after paying $400 and being told to take a chill pill? I could have told myself that. I could have told Siri to tell me that. But, you know, it it starts compounding this kind of chronic pain that I still have until this day. And then, you know, luckily, my big break was that I lived in a Jewish community. And there was an old um, people's chiropractor it was a chiropractor and i walked in and this chiropractor in melbourne of all places was zimbabwean he was white but he was zimbabwean Oh wow so he got he got some he piece got it. it he saw me and he said okay come into my office and he just pushes the box of tissues gently and he says you don't look so good you don't look like you've been sleeping but don't worry we're gonna help you here And I just started crying. And then he does the assessment the whole time I'm crying. And then he tells me, I don't understand how you weren't crying the whole day. Then he shows me images of my spine, all like curved backwards and all these knots. And he showed me a scan of a muscle spasm happening in place whilst I was there. It's like doctors have been stressing you out, haven't they? And I'm just looking at this dude, like he's my Messiah. And I'm like, wow, like this, this is nuts. And, you know, I get the treatment and every it was bang out of order, expensive. But there was a sense of trust in knowing that he came from where I came from and he has seen what I've seen. So he understands probably what I'm going through because maybe his friends do that to other, you know, Black people or his other medical professionals do the same thing because he told me he used to work at a public hospital, but he couldn't deal with how people of color were being treated and how difficult it was for them to smile and feel grateful for being in the first world because it takes such a toll on the mental and because he deals with muscles and spines and he's like these things are heavily linked so it, it gets it gets lost in translation all the time so that that's a little story about my little you know going wow. with the flow wow. and this is in the other countries zimbabwe so when do you- when did you figure out
0: that, that the racism was at the root of this?
1: When did that click for you? It clicked for me when I went to see the physiotherapist and he was, his bedside manner was disgusting and, you know, even his assessment was very mm, mm, like, you know, just moving the arms, okay, okay, look to the right. And it wasn't as if he was treating me as if I could have, I I might've had a serious injury or something was going wrong. So it was from the very first minute I was like, oh my God, I'm never gonna get better because I'm black. Because he had been referred to me by my friend who's white and she was singing his praises. So Mm. I was like, what? Night and day, literally night and day. And then um, I got back to Zim and I was like, nah, I'm back in Zimbabwe. This is great. This is fantastic. And then there was one bias I'd forgotten about. I'm a woman. Mm. I completely forgot about that. I'm a woman. And medicine is, you know, man's world. Dr. McDreamy, all the cool doctors are men. And, you know, I'm, I'm again having some crazy... We need to diagnose this and go deeper and every doctor every specialist i'm going to you know women you guys you just stress out too much you know especially black women you know you guys just worry about the wrong thing and these are black men telling me this. Ooh, okay so
0: we've taken now race out of the equation and we just mm. have gender we have gender
1: yeah. bias yeah. And then, you know, we've got this gender bias, but it's reinforced by the fact that the medical system itself, structurally, is built off white men. As, so as much as they are black men, they are informed by the narrative of the white doctor, which is to basically not pay too much attention to black women. They're strong. They exaggerate. You know, they can take on the weight of the world. They can give birth to eight kids and have a job and have it all. So there's a very strong narrative that, you know, as black women, we're exaggerating. We're just overthinking and we're stressing ourselves out. I mean, this doctor looked me dead in the face after I told him I hadn't slept for four days and said, do you know how to relax? Oh no. Yeah, he asked me that. And now he's like, no, no, no. Like no, with no. a sexual undertone? No, no, no. Not with a sexual undertone, <laughs> with a condescending undertone. Oh, oh. Uh, GB. I was I was crying the whole time because I was in so much pain. I mean, <laughs> that would have been a weird one. But I mean, he goes, yeah. do you know how to relax? What, what do you do for fun? And I said, How can you ask me what I do for fun when I'm telling you I'm in pain 24 seven, I'm not able to sleep. I'm feeling pins and needles in down my legs. I can't sit down on a chair for more than two minutes. I have to worry about rent. I have to worry about eating food. I have to worry about being able to work to do all these things. And you want to tell me that I'm overthinking everything. But then luckily, there's always a happy ending to all these stories. Luckily, I found a lovely homeopath in South Africa, a woman, a black woman. And she just looked at me and she went, ah, this looks like endometriosis. Then she poked me a little bit. She's like, "Mm, can I see some of the old scans? Mm -hmm. Tell me what the other doctors said. Hmm. How did you feel when they said that? Not so great. Okay. Wimby, I think this is endometriosis. It's pressing on this nerve. I'm so sorry. No one picked this up. A lot of people don't really pay attention to black women. Three jars of, you know, meds and pills. She's like, yeah, take this, take that, take that. One month later, I'm all good. Gave me a referral letter for my gynae. And that was that. But it was such a long journey. It was nine months before I figured it all out. And I realized it was because everywhere I was going, men, 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 men. And the system would also assume I was pregnant. So every time I'm this insatiable sexual being that cannot actually say, listen, I have not been sexually active for this long. And they say, no, we need to do a blood test. They didn't just take your word for it. They couldn't take my word for it. They had to take a blood test every single time through this nine month period. I'm in chronic pain. I don't have time to be getting it on. But somewhere, somehow, that assumption was made. And I kind of thought to myself, and again, I asked a friend, my white friend, hey, when you kind of went for that um, scan for whatever, did they take your blood and check if you're pregnant? She's like, yeah, they asked me to, but I said, no, I, I don't want to. And they can't make me. All good. She didn't have to, but I did. So my system that has supposedly been handed over to my people still has biases that affect me because I am Black and I'm a woman.
0: Yes. And one thing you and I talked about briefly, and I just want to say, I'm so grateful you found a home. I don't know if you know, I'm a student of homeopathy for the last seven years. So I'm a a great believer. Um, It's amazing. The the thing about the pain tolerance that Black Mm. people in general have a higher pain tolerance. I, I found this attitude very prolific in South Africa. Yeah. Here in the States, people are, you know, it's much more hidden. It's much Mm. more pushed down in South Africa. It's out there because we all took turns picking up the housekeepers at the Mm -hmm. front gate and Mm -hmm. somebody picked them up in an open Bucky pickup truck. And I said, I would have picked up everybody in my car. It's too cold. Mm -hmm. And the guy said, they don't feel the cold like we do. Whoa. And I said, I said, you have got to be kidding me. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have got, I said, I do not ever do that again. I will go pick everybody up.
1: But I'm thinking, what? It's ridiculous. Like, oh. No, I, that's that's a definite thing. And I, I feel that, you know, that assumption, that that pain assumption or that, that misdiagnosis, if I can mention my sister for two seconds. So my sister also has endometriosis but a very severe um, kind with fibroids and everything like that so she's in Australia right now I don't know why she went back because I'm never going back (laughs) I'm too scared to die (laughs) but she's back there and COVID hit and then she was scheduled to come back home for Christmas and have her you know her operation here so that we can take care of her. Cause it's it, getting fibroids out is a very major surgery. And it's important to have someone around to help you for at least six weeks or so. So she was supposed to come back and then COVID hit and, you know, she's going to work every day and she's in so much pain. Like I could tell like from speak, cause you know, your sister, you know, your sibling. And she says, you know, I passed out at work today. And I told them I'm not feeling well, but they expected me back the next day. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. She went to the um, gynae. And then the first thing he asked is, I think it could be malaria. You have got to be, oh my God. They don't have
0: malaria in Australia, do they? No, they don't.
1: And then, you know, it was just so ridiculous. And I mean, her fibroids was the size of about three oranges. These were three kgs worth of fibroids. You could touch them. I touched them before she got them taken. I'm not a doctor. But he's like, oh, this, this looks like malaria. Yep, yep.
0: And um, then they started going she was off. Because from
1: Zimbabwe? Yeah, because she's from an African country. That's the first thing they assume when they can't diagnose it. They think it's malaria. And I mean, he literally pulled out from what she told me, he pulled out like a, like a sheet where you enter kind of like eth- ethnic information. Like, oh, so she's like, where have you lived most of your life? Okay. Oh, he's like, right. Okay. Pulls out a book. I think it might be malaria. And I was like. You're God in heaven. in heaven. And then after this that, is- they, they thought she had kidney failure. Because it had to be in an inflamed kidney in the middle of her stomach. It it couldn't be what she was saying because she's not a doctor. She can't tell you what's wrong with her. So she must be wrong. So her whole narrative was completely dismissed for two years. She was in complete pain, came back home as soon as the COVID restrictions were lifted, had her operation. Her Instagram handle is rich auntie living my best life. That's all I can say. She is happy. She is hiking. She is cycling. She is... Having an amazing time, but no one would listen to her because she's a black woman. It has to be one of those rare diseases we don't know about. Like it, well, it must
0: be malaria.
1: Yeah, it must I be mean that—that that is a
0: bridge too far in my mind. Like malaria. Let's see. Uh, you've got all of the signs of uterine fibroids and looks like malaria.
1: You're you're severely anemic, but. Malaria should fit. Yep. Can't sleep on your tummy? Definitely malaria. And Wimby, did she go back to Australia? So she moved back after her operation. She's only there to finish her contract because she's a professional before everything else. She's a chemical engineer. I mean, she was working at Pfizer. Like, it was amazing. She was there vaccine fight, doing all those things. And it was just so sad that she's at the front of medical innovation, but the medical system was failing her. Mm-hmm. We're shining a light on something
0: that I haven't addressed in this show before, so I'm I'm tickled. Will you come back? Of
1: course. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Lisa. And I absolutely love that we've fallen into this. Beautiful friendship and that you've invited me on your show to share my lived experiences. And I hope to keep coming back because at the end of the day, it starts here with a conversation and it starts with someone listening to this conversation and it grows and we can make a change. I, I don't believe anyone is stuck in their ways. I don't believe that anyone has to be a racist. I don't think so. And I think if you didn't know you were one, Well, maybe now you know you're one and you've got the power to do something about it.
0: That's it, then. It's a date. Wimby and I are going to pick up this conversation and discuss a little bit further. Okay, we've talked about what's wrong with the system. But the next question I want to ask Wimby is, what do you think that we can do to actually change it? So join us again next week for Alma Am I Racist? To find out more, go to almamiracist.com, or you can email us, almamiracist at gmail.com.